Please turn with me now in your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 6, page 329 in the Adoration Bibles, 329. We'll read the whole chapter together, but we'll direct our focus to the latter half of the chapter, to verses 12 through 23. Read a few moments ago David's song of thanksgiving from 1 Chronicles 16. And now we direct our attention to David's dancing, to his exuberant thanksgiving before Israel and ultimately before the Lord of the universe. Second Samuel chapter 6, let's look carefully at David's thanksgiving and see what the Spirit of Christ would teach us through it. David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who sits enthroned on the cherubim. And they carried the ark of God in a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on a hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah. And God struck him down there because of his error, and he died there beside the ark of God. And David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah, and that place is called Perez-Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, How can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David. But David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. And it was told King David, The Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts, And distribute among the people the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, a cake of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins to each one. Then all the people departed, each to his house. And David also returned to his house to, to bless his household. But Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel honored himself today uncovering himself day before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. And David said to Michael, it was before the Lord. It was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord, and I will celebrate before the Lord. 
and I will make myself yet more contemptible than this, and I will be abased in your eyes. But by the female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. So far, God's holy word may bless it to us this morning. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, he was watching intently and his heart was trembling as he saw the messenger making his way into the heart of the city from the battle lines. For Eli, the high priest, could hear the outcry of the people of Israel as they heard the devastating news that the ark of God had been captured by the Philistines. When Eli himself heard this tragic news, at 98 years old, he fell backward off his chair, and he broke his neck, and he died. Meanwhile, the wife, the widowed wife of Phineas, and the daughter-in-law of Eli was giving birth to a child. And when she heard the news that the ark of God had been captured by the Philistines, she named her son Ichabod, meaning no glory. And although the women attending her birth tried to comfort her, saying, Do not be afraid, you have borne a son this day, she could not be comforted. And so she named her child Ichabod, meaning no glory, for she said, The glory has departed from Israel, for the ark of God has been captured. Now, while we all know that God himself had not actually been captured when the Philistines captured the ark of God, Eli's daughter-in-law rightly understood the ramifications of this great tragedy. For the ark of God was emblematic of the presence of the glory of God. Where the ark of God was there, the glory of God was. Where the ark of God was there, the people of Israel understood God to be as well. There they understood God to be reigning not only over all the world, but also in a special way over the special people of Israel. But if the ark was gone, then so too was the glory. The ark of God remained there in the land of the Philistines for seven months. For seven months, the ark of God resided in the camp of the enemy, even enduring the ridicule of being placed next to Dagon in the pagan temple of the Philistines. The glory of the Lord had departed from the land of Israel. Well, if you were to read the rest of that story in 1 Samuel, you'd discover that eventually the Philistines could no longer endure the presence of God in the camp. The statue of Dagon continually falling down in their temple. And so they sent the ark of God on a cart back into the land of Israel. But the ark was not brought back to the tabernacle, not to a place of prominence, but rather to the house of Abinadab, where it remained for some 40 years, being overlooked by David's predecessor, King Saul. King Saul, as you know, was not a righteous king. King Saul was not so concerned about the reign of God, let alone the glory of God and the ark of God. When you examine the life and reign of King Saul, what you soon discover is that King Saul was all about King Saul. King Saul was all about Saul's glory and about Saul's dynasty. King Saul was all about himself. And so the name Ichabod may as well be written over that entire period of Israel's history. No glory. From the death of Eli the high priest all the way to the reign of King David, no glory. But now we come in our passage this morning to a great turning of the page in redemptive history, to 
the return to glory, to a great day of thanksgiving and praise, King David has gathered together 30,000 men around the house of Abinadab to, to restore the ark to the place of prominence, to bring the ark of God into the city of David. And although that endeavor did not go well the first time around, being that David had not searched the scriptures for how the ark of God was to be moved from one place to the next, and so God struck down Uzzah, Now that David has heard the news that the house of Obed-Edom has been blessed richly by the Lord, David resolves to try it again, to do it right, to bring the ark of God into the city of David. And that brings us to our text for this morning. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. It was a day of great thanksgiving and rejoicing for the people of Israel. But it was also a day of great disdain. It was also a day of great tragedy. We read that as the ark of God came into the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, she isn't in on the rejoicing. She's not in on the thanksgiving. But Michael, the daughter of Saul, she's peering out her window, watching David leaping and dancing. And she despises David in her heart. Here in our passage this morning, we are confronted again with that great contrast between the two kingdoms, between the kingdom of Satan on the one hand and the kingdom of God on the other hand. We're confronted with that sharp contrast between the people of God and the people of the world. But it's in the midst of this great contrast that the kingdom of God shines the light of the gospel into the darkness of the world. It's in the midst of this great contrast, this sharp divide that the church of Jesus gives thanks. It's in the midst of this great contrast that the church of Jesus gives thanks to God, even in a world that despises God, that she testifies to the world that, that God's grace inspires great gratitude. King David is not afraid to display his gratitude before God. King David gives thanks to God for the reality that that his God is the true king of Israel. David is overjoyed by the reality that, that the Lord God reigns in majesty and that he dwells between the cherubim. That he dwells between those wings overshadowing the Ark of the Covenant. David gives thanks to God for making his power and presence known throughout the land of Israel even as he makes his power and presence known throughout the land today by his word and spirit, by a much greater way. David is not ashamed to acknowledge that all that he has has come from his father's hand above. Immediately following his victory over the Philistines in 2 Samuel chapter 5, David is not ashamed to confess before the world that, that Israel is not her own success story but that all her successes, all her victories have come from the God of grace. And so what we want to do this morning, congregation, is to consider David's exuberant thanksgiving. We want to look at David's exuberant thanksgiving, noticing it was, first of all, displayed, that it was, second of all, despised, and that it was, last of all, defended. Those three things the Spirit of Christ shows us this morning. David's exuberant thanksgiving displayed, despised, and defended. 
The church of Jesus gives thanks to God in a world that despises God because God's grace inspires great gratitude. And that's the way it is for us this morning, isn't it? We too, of course, recognize that that all we have needed, God's hand has provided, and so we give thanks before the Lord. When it was told King David that the Lord had blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belonged to him because of the ark of God, David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with great rejoicing. And this time around, we find in First Chronicles 15, David does it right. He he searches the scriptures to determine how God willed for the ark of God to be transferred from one place to another, not on a cart as the Philistines had done and as he did the first time with Uzzah and Ahio, but rather to be carried on poles by the Levitical priests. And after those who bore the ark of God had gone six steps, he sacrificed ox and a fattened, and a fattened animal for the God of grace was going to grant David success in this glorious endeavor. And then we read those words that are at the focus of our first consideration. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. David danced before the Lord with all his might. Why is David dancing? Why this display of exuberant thanksgiving? Well, as I mentioned a few moments ago, it was because the ark of God was emblematic of the presence and power of God. The ark of God being brought into Jerusalem, says one writer, proclaimed that, that the majestic, pardoning, speaking God of Israel was, was once again in the midst of Israel. And so the people of the Lord would have sung with great zeal and gusto the words we just sang. The Lord God reigns in majesty. Let all the nations quake. He dwells between the cherubim. Let earth's foundation shake. Supreme in Zion is the Lord, exalted gloriously all nations. Praise his name with awe. The Holy One is he. That ark, you see, represented the very near presence of God as, as the righteous ruler of Israel, promising to, to dwell between the cherubim. That, that ark was a visible testimony that, that the Lord reigns, that he is exalted gloriously, that he is leading Israel and guiding Israel and protecting Israel from all her enemies. That ark also represented the gracious revelation of God to Israel as the tablets of stone upon which God had written his law were, were stored in that Ark of the Covenant. And so that Ark became emblematic also of the voice of God, that, that he was indeed the covenant God who, who speaks to his people. Now, like the false gods of the world, the idols of Dagon hanging in this, the temple of the Philistines, but a true God, the God of the covenant, who, who reveals himself to Israel, who reveals the way to live. And that ark represented the very near presence of God as the great reconciler of Israel. Every year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would, would sprinkle the blood of the lamb on the mercy seat to symbolize for the people of Israel the forgiveness of all their sins. If you can picture that ark of the covenant, imagine a, a chest with the tablets of stone being kept inside of it, and then you have the mercy seat, which seals the law in the ark, and then you have the cherubim with their wings overshadowing the mercy seat. And we find that God dwelled between the cherubim. And so on the day of atonement, the blood of the lamb became the barrier through which God, peering into the law, would view the law. So that 
recognizing his people having fallen short of the law, he would not view them in light of those shortcomings and failures, but rather in light of the blood of the Lamb that, that made a covering for their failure and shortcoming. In other words, congregation, the presence of that ark was a picture that served to point Israel forward to the presence of Christ. That ark served to point Israel forward to the day when, when God would crown Christ Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords. That ark served to point Israel forward to the presence of Christ, whose blood alone could finally satisfy God's justice and bring about final reconciliation between an unholy people and a holy God. That ark served to point Israel forward to God's presence, to the presence of Christ, as God's final revelation of grace and truth. That ark served to point Israel forward to what we now know in fullness today, that Christ has come, that he's died, that he has risen, that he's ascended to God's right hand, that he's seated there on the throne pleading our cause. But that ark, as it ascends into the city of David, there to reside in the midst of the people, is also pointing them forward to what we know today, that even though Christ is, is reigning there from heaven, he is also here with us remaining with us, residing with us by his word and spirit. And so it's no wonder that in exuberant thanksgiving, David dances with all his might before the Lord. We also find in verse 14 that David must have exchanged his royal garments for priestly garments, wearing a linen ephod, a priestly cloak. For this day of praise and thanksgiving is not about King David. Rather, it's about celebrating the reality that the Lord is king and that a greater king is coming. And so David, with all the house of Israel, brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting, with the sound of the horn. By the spirit of the Christ to come, David is not cold in his thankfulness to the Lord, but he is quite enthusiastic, isn't he? Commenting on this very thing, Dale Ralph Davis notes the sad reality that that we live in a world where so many people can, can muster great enthusiasm and gusto over professional sports, but who somehow cannot fathom anything but cold detachment from Christ. And then he says, while there are doubtless times to be calm and times to be enthusiastic, can it ever be right to give all our coldness to Christ and all our enthusiasm to the world? By the Spirit of Christ in King David, King David is not cold in his thankfulness. That's what we see in David's dancing. What about our thankfulness this morning? Is your thankfulness also exuberant and enthusiastic? Do your lives echo the words of David's song of thanksgiving? Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Or has coldness to Christ entered your hearts? The chronicler tells us that after they sang those words, all the people said, Amen, and praised the Lord, because God's grace inspires great gratitude. The people of Israel are rejoicing and giving thanks to God that he is not a God who is oh so far from them, that he is a God who is ever so near to them. And yet there are some from among the people of Israel, we discover, who have not 
join the thronging worshipers who are not in on the great thanksgiving. But there are some who have instead chosen to stand on the sidelines. There are some who have chosen to stand on the sidelines, despising King David. As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window. And as she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. David's wife, Michael, is a true daughter of Saul, isn't she? Michael has taken after her father. She's a daughter after her father's own heart. And so rather than seeing every reason to give give thanks and to rejoice, she despises the king whom God had appointed over Israel to lead Israel in those very things. Don't forget, boys and girls, that as David dances before the Lord with all his might, and as David leads the people of Israel in this great rejoicing and thanksgiving, David is serving as a shadow of the Lord Jesus Christ, that that greater worship leader to come. When the author of Hebrews writes that Christ is not ashamed to call us brothers, he goes on to say that even now Christ is saying before his Father in heaven, Behold, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. David is a shadow. He is a picture of the great worship leader to come. A picture, a shadow of the great, the chief musician to whom he writes so many of his songs in the Psalms. And as David offers burnt offerings and peace offerings, and as he provides the means and the food to celebrate before the Lord. And as he blesses the people of the Lord in the, in the name of the Lord, David is, is foreshadowing that, that unity to come when the priestly and the kingdom will be brought together in the Lord Jesus Christ. But sadly, Michael, the daughter of Saul, does not perceive it. But when she sees David's dancing and exuberant thanksgiving, she despises him in her heart. After the people depart and return to their homes, David also decides to to go home, to continue celebrating, to to bless his household, to celebrate the reality that that God is dwelling in the midst of Israel. But then Michael says to him, how the king of Israel honored himself today by uncovering himself before the eyes of his female servants as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. You can almost hear the ugly sarcasm in her voice, the bitterness in her voice. Michael, the daughter of Saul, is not impressed with David's exuberant display of thanksgiving. Indeed, Michael is ashamed and embarrassed of King David. This isn't how a a royal king is supposed to act, she thinks. In the sarcastic, bitter voice of Michael, you see, we hear the voice of the old age. We hear the voice of the old regime. In the voice of Michael, we hear the dying cries of the kingdom of Saul, who who was a handsome and, and dignified king in the eyes of the world, but who was a poor king in the eyes of God. King Saul's kingdom, we know, was a dead-end kingdom because although his dynasty boasted of great things, it cared not for the will of God nor for the presence of God. 
His was a dying set rather than, than giving thanks to God for God's will being done on earth, even as it is in heaven, instead, instead rejected the will of God, seeking to, to kill the anointed of God, seeking to kill David, from whom the greater king would come. Saul, in rejection of God, sought to destroy the dynasty of God in Jesus Christ. And in the bitter voice of Micah, we hear the voice of that dead-end kingdom. We hear the voice of that dead-end kingdom from which God has delivered us and transferred us instead into the kingdom of his own beloved Son, as Paul says in Colossians 1. And we meditate on that reality, then we have every reason in the world, don't we, to be a people of great thanksgiving and praise. No doubt we live in a fallen world that despises God, that does not understand what, what we're doing here today. We live in a world that wonders what, what kind of a people use their day off to, to go to church. But the answer is really quite simple, isn't it? What kind of a people take their day off, even the Monday following Sunday, to go to church? A kind of people who recognize that all that they have their jobs, their food, their drink, their clothes, and everything in between has come from above. A kind of people who confess with the Apostle Paul, what do we have that we have not received? What do we have that, that God has not given? The church of Jesus gives thanks to God in a world where although people know God, as the Apostle Paul says, they do not honor him as God or give thanks to God. Because they are futile in their thinking and foolish in their hearts. And sadly, that's the way it was for Michael, the daughter of Saul. Futile in her thinking and foolish in her heart. In coldness to Christ, Michael despised David for showing honor to Christ as the ark of God was being brought, restored to the place of prominence. Michael despises David for acknowledging before all of Israel that although he's the king of Israel, he was really but only a servant, a mere placeholder to that greater king to come, the Lord Jesus Christ. But therein lies David's defense. David's thanksgiving was before the Lord. Verse 21, And David said to Michael, It was before the Lord. It was before the Lord who, who chose me over your father Saul and appointed me over your father Saul to be prince over Israel, the people of God. And I will celebrate before God. Michael was very concerned, you see, about keeping proper decorum and outward appearances. Michael was very concerned about David being dignified in the eyes of the world. But David, by the Spirit of Christ, was very concerned about being dignified in the eyes of God. And we learn from the Spirit of Christ in David this morning is that true dignity is actually grounded in humility. Again, Del Ralph Davis speaks this very thing when he writes, David does not see himself so much as Israel's king, but as Yahweh's servant. And humility is appropriate for servants. For David, humility is dignity. David, you see, wasn't dancing as some performance for the slave girls in the city. There was nothing inappropriate or, or vulgar about David's dancing. It wasn't a performance for the people, but it was worship and thanksgiving before God. 
David is worshiping the God of grace who had chosen him in the place of Michael's father Saul, who had appointed him to be prince over Israel, appointed him to be a placeholder to that greater king to come. It was God's grace that had fueled David's exuberant display of thanksgiving. And so David defends his thanksgiving to Michael. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will celebrate before the Lord. And I will make myself yet more contemptible than this. And I will be abased in your eyes. Because she is part of that dead in kingdom, she will never see. She will never perceive. But by the female servants of whom you have spoken, he says, by them I shall be held in honor. David's exuberant thanksgiving was before the Lord, and so he will not cease celebrating before the Lord. And that's what the Spirit of Jesus is calling us to this morning. We too are called by God to live all our lives quorum Deo before the face of God. And that certainly ought to be the case today. As we take advantage of this holiday, we ought to recognize that our thanksgiving is indeed before the face of God. And so as you give thanks with friends and family over a special Thanksgiving meal, may you eat and drink before the Lord in thanksgiving to the Lord. May the discussions that you have around the dinner table be mindful of that as well. Certainly, as we reflect in the last number of months, it's awfully easy, isn't it, for us to to fill our conversations with venting and complaining. Satan's been doing a fairly good job of that, hasn't he? Of sowing coldness and discontent in our hearts. Certainly, he's been doing that in my heart. And so Christ speaks to us this morning by way of reminder. Christ speaks to us in this exuberant display of David's thanksgiving to reorient our perspective that we might fill our conversations not with complaining, but rather with thanksgiving, reminding ourselves of how God has continued to bless us and keep us, how he has continued to be so good and gracious to us, certainly gracious to us, and far more gracious to us, it seems, relative than other places around the world. I was convicted of that very thing when I was reading Amy's update from Nicaragua, the crime running rampant. The financial crisis, convicted again of how good we've had it here relative to many other places around the world. Do we thank God for that? Are we thankful for that? To be sure, COVID-19, all that's brought about has been a lamentable thing, no doubt about that. It's been a difficult year in that way. Certainly, I long for the day when churches can be filled with the saints, when, when borders are open so I can go home again for a bit. The congregation this morning were reminded that God is king. God is still king, and as king, his rule over our lives, we know, is working all things together for our good. That God is still king, and that he's saying to us this morning, I'm working all things to your good. My ways are good and right. You need to trust me. As our king, he says to us, even though I... Reign from heaven, I yet live in your midst. I am with you by my word and spirit. The Apostle Paul once wrote that to the Romans, also saying that the word of Christ is near you. It is in your mouth, in your hearts, that is the word of faith that we proclaim. 
Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For scripture has said, everyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. Whoever believes in God will not be put to shame. We find here in our passage that David knew that too. By the Spirit of Christ working in David's heart, David knew that by, by believing in God, he would not be put to shame. Not by Michael, the daughter of Saul, not by anyone in the world. And so he makes his resolve, I will celebrate before the Lord. And that's David's defense against the voice of the dead in kingdom. I will not be put to shame. My thanksgiving was before the Lord. I will celebrate. I will make merry. I will give thanks before the Lord. Notice finally, people of God, that David's words are also backed by the Lord's deeds. Verse 23. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. This congregation is God's just judgment against the dead end kingdom. This is God's word of judgment against the dead end kingdom of Saul and the dead end kingdom that is this world. Michael will not contribute to the coming of God's kingdom in Christ. And with her passing, the dynasty of Saul will breathe its last. For there is no fruitfulness to be found in that dead-end kingdom. That's why that kingdom is a dead end. And so if you're still living in the service of that kingdom, Christ speaks to you today and says you'll find nothing good there. Only sarcasm, bitterness, and despair. You will not find what you're looking for in that dead-end kingdom. But if you have entered the kingdom of God by faith, if you're living for God in thanksgiving and faith, Christ promises to be near to you forever, to give you glory and to glorify you forever and eternity. David's kingdom, you see, is not a dead-end kingdom like the kingdom of Saul because David's kingdom is a kingdom of life and life everlasting. Because from David's kingdom comes the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And because of him, we have every reason to be thankful, don't we? Because of him, we have every reason to exude great gratitude for God's great grace. May God see our gratitude today for sure, but may he know that as well every day. May he know our exuberant thanksgiving all the days of our lives as we seek to live quorum Deo before the face of God and the presence of the King. To him be all our glory and all our praise and thanksgiving forever. Amen. Let us pray.